Well, while we were away, in fact, when Mayor Ferdig was on the air, I actually called in. I don't think I made this clear at that point where I was exactly. Uh, but uh, when um, when Mayor Ferdig was on the air and I called in with the big Mazel Tov wish of what had happened the night before, Yoshua Siegel and Tamima Pilachowski's engagement, it was from the uh, front area of the Biblical Museum of Natural History. That's where I was speaking to you from. And um, Rabbi Slifkin, who founded the museum and was kind enough to give us an amazing tour uh, last week, um, he's, he's joining me live via telephone this morning here at JMM. And frankly, as I said earlier, we could discuss anything and certainly anything about this incredible uh, museum. Uh, but I really have only one purpose um, in terms of my conversation with Rabbi Slifkin this morning. There are a lot of people in this audience that starting the 11th of January are going to be traveling to Israel during yeshiva break. There is another group of people starting on the 18th of January that are going to be traveling to Israel for their yeshiva break. And there are a lot of other people who later on in January and in February are going to be traveling to Israel for their yeshiva break or vacation um, that they might have. And all I am saying to everybody out there is you must, must, must put the biblical museum of natural history in your itinerary. Simple as that. Rabbi Natan Slifkin, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Hey, Nathan, great to be back. Uh, I'm sure you echo my words. You highly recommend oh. that anybody listening put the museum, the Biblical Museum of Natural History, on their itinerary. For those who think that it is a fledgling startup, they've got to come see what you've created and what this has become. It is an incredible building with beautiful displays and exhibits, great tours. I had the honor of having your tour. And it, it's just a phenomenal way for a family and a group to spend a day. Rabbi Slifkin, you sometimes must marvel when you look at the facility at just where at just to what point you've gotten uh, after its creation years ago uh yes that is true and it was it was much more difficult to make it than i could ever have imagined but uh, at the end thank god we are very very happy with the result if one were to ask you, which I'm about to, what the goal of the museum is, why primarily does the museum exist, what would you say? Basically, it's to inspire and thrill and educate people about the connection between Torah and the animal kingdom. And to show that you know, part of being a Jew, you know, aside from Jewish identity, is not only Yom Kippur and Shabbos and all those things, but also... Lions and crocodiles and, and, and bears, these are also part of our cultural identity as Jews, part of the Torah, and, um, and, and learning about them helps us lead a more inspired and knowledgeable lives as Jews. You know, it's funny because if, if you'd, and this is, this is no one's fault, this is the progression of our history. If you were to ask, especially the younger people who may not be able to, you know, process certain things about how things work in our tradition and the ways we worship, uh, what type of involvement animals have in our tradition, they would probably think very limited. When, of course, in the times of the Beit HaMikdash and the times of yesteryear, uh, it, it was such a common thing for animals to have a very important role in the way we worship and in the way we go about our day-to-day -day activities. I, I know we're not blaming anybody for this. This is, this is the 
the progression of history. But I would think that additionally, one of your goals would be to remind everybody that historically, uh, animals play such an important part in our tradition. Well, exactly. I mean, this week's parasha, you know, in Yaakov's brachas to his, to his kids, so uh, half of them are symbolized by different animals. Uh, and that shows you the, uh, the significance that these animals played, played in, our, in our lives. And uh, one of the goals in the museum is showing how, in particular, you know, with the animals of Eretz Yisrael, the region of Eretz Yisrael, you know, the, of our ancient homeland, those were the animals that formed part of our identity. And now that we, we're back in Eretz Yisrael, we're able to regain familiarity with these animals. You know, I don't want you to give away the entire tour on the air, Rabbi Slifkin. Again, my primary goal this morning is to remind people to go to the website and to uh, find out more information and to schedule a visit uh, to your museum. Uh, but could you give us one example of location? Uh, one of the primary things that people will be, uh, will be um, uh, seeing and hearing about on their tour is that location where Israel is had a lot to do uh, with uh, some of the things uh, regarding our traditional vis-a-vis animals. Could you give us one of those examples, please? Well, yeah, one simple example. The Nesher, the king of birds, and the Mishnah famously tells us, Kal Kanesher, the light of the Nesher to serve Hashem. You know, so first of all, most people think Nesher is an eagle, and that makes it very difficult to understand. You know, eagles, they're very heavy birds. Uh, but in fact, uh, as Ramban points out, the Nesher of Tanakh is in fact the griffin vulture, magnificent bird, highest flying bird in the world, to 37,000 feet. Uh, and once you realize that and understand how they soar to such heights on the thermals, on the hot currents of air, without even having to flap their wings because their wings are so massive, they can just glide upwards, then you realize that the Mishnah is telling us that rise, what it says to be as light as a, as a nesher, it's not talking about how much the bird weighs, it's talking about how it flies, right. that it flies up so lightly and effortlessly, uh, so too we should rise up to serve Hashem, you know, graciously, effortlessly, not with a, a moan and a groan. So it's only by understanding that it's which bird in Eretz Israel that it's speaking about that we can understand the symbolism and what the Mishnah is trying to teach us. I love it. Just love it. Rabbi Dr. Natan Slifkin is with us live via telephone, founder and executive director of the, uh, of the, let me get the name in Hebrew correct, Mozion HaTeva HaTanachi, the Biblical Museum of Natural History. Information, by the way, those of you out there who already have had their interest peaked, and if you're planning a trip, especially if it's an upcoming trip, like one in January or February, and you're wondering what to do with the kids and what to do with the family, go to biblicalnaturalhistory.org. Again, biblicalnaturalhistory.org. Is it difficult to get... uh, to get uh, animals and displays for a museum like yours, or would it, would it be fair to ask that question to any museum curator? Oh, it was very complicated. We brought in stuff from all over the world, and, and I'm not sure if the listeners realize, but uh, you know, as you saw, the museum has basically got two sections. One is with the non-live exhibits, you know, the taxidermy, right. uh, the, the life-size models. That's where we have you know, the lions and the hippos and the elephants and the crocodiles. And then there's the whole live section of it with all the live exotic animals. Which, uh, you seem to have an interesting reaction to some of our live animals. <laughs> hey, know, when you go ahead and you allow a 110 pound python around your neck, you really can't be subject to that much criticism, Rabbi Slifkin. <laughs> <laughs> After I was very impressed with you, there are, there are some people who are too afraid, but you, uh, I could see you overcame your fear and, and you, you held that 15 foot python. 
Stacy Siegel was determined to uh, make sure I overcome my fear, and sure enough. And what's interesting about that is, you know, when you see a snake or a python or a boa or anything that size, you don't realize, even when you're told it's 110 pounds, you don't realize how heavy it is until you actually touch it and hold it. Yeah. It's extraordinary. And, you know, yep. we, we spend so much time, thank God, um, acknowledging uh, the incredible world that God created, not that uh, he needs our uh, you know, endorsement, uh, but we do spend a lot of time talking about the, uh, you know, uh, so- someone's athletic ability, natural ability, the, the views of the world, you know, the Swiss Alps and the Grand Canyon and everything else. It, it, you, you have to have such an, and I know this is a little bit off topic, but you have to have somewhat of an additional appreciation when, in fact, you do interact with a 110-pound python and say to yourself, my God, this is just one of millions that God created. Right. Exactly. That's um, the part of museums go. You know, we have nearly 100 species of live animals, and a lot of them are things that people, when they're coming into the museum, they don't necessarily uh, think they're going to be able to appreciate. But by the time they've gone through the tour, you know, they're holding the gigantic lizards, you know, the, uh, the, the enormous stick insects, uh, the snakes, all the different things. And they've really been able to, you know, gain a new appreciation for these things. Yeah, and then, and then all the all the uh, the relationships that these these animals kosher and not have you know mm-hmm. toward our tradition is is pretty remarkable there are a couple of things that yeah. I, I took a photo of the and we're not going to do this today but i hope one day you will do this with me maybe on your next visit to the united states you have uh, a, a, an incredible list of of psukim from the torah forget about tanakh where i'm sure it's even more vast obviously but psukim from the torah directly related to how we are supposed to treat animals and many of us think it's only yeah. one it's only one or two but it's so many there's so many rules yeah, and regulations 18 regula- different mitzvahs 18 mitzvahs just from the torah yeah. 18 mitzvahs mm-hmm. that one could put under the category of how one is supposed to care for animals yeah that's a great quiz by the way those teachers out there you should do that with your students you should see if they can come up with 18 because I start with one or two and then say, what, are there more than that? And sure enough, when you see that list, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, all right, Rabbi Dr. Natan Slifkin, uh, all I could do at this point is encourage our listeners to come and visit you, frankly. I hope that you're anticipating a very big January and February from people from the United States. You know that Yeshiva break is a very, very uh, a big deal here and that a lot of people, because of the post-pandemic era, are trying to use the opportunity to get with their families to Israel. What is the easiest way for someone to make sure they have secured a reservation at the Biblical Museum of Natural History? Easiest is to book on use our online booking system, biblicalnaturalhistory.org. That's the easiest way to do it. And that's it. People can go there, get their tickets, and be guaranteed that they'll be able mm-hmm. to visit, visit you, get a tour, and do some of the stuff that yep. we were able to do and learn so much. It's a, an area that we don't spend enough time with. You know that, uh, thank God, Rabbi Slifkin, and I know you know this, thank God we spend a tremendous amount of time uh, teaching Chumash, Tanakh, hopefully schools out there are teaching Tanakh, Talmud, Mishnah and Talmud, certainly. We spend a lot of time making sure that our students have experiential uh, education in those areas and obviously pl- plenty of of, uh, of um, uh, inside the books education in those areas. But I think they're not getting enough education in an area like the one that you're in charge of in Israel. So if we can help promote that and get kids involved and adults involved in something like this, it's only to the benefit of our community. Right. Well, you know, Rambam says that it's not just uh, a sin to eat non-kosher food. It's actually a mitzvah to know how to tell apart kosher and non-kosher animals. So, in, for example, in our hall of Kashrut, where you can actually, you know, see 
what the different kosher animals and, uh, and birds and fish and insects look like. You're actually fulfilling that mitzvah. And you might be shocked at which birds are kosher or non-kosher. You might be shocked at which fish are kosher or non-kosher. In fact, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a spoiler here, because I, I learned right. I learned something about the the uh, uh, the world of the fish uh, regarding kosher or non-kosher when I was standing there in your museum. That's right. After all these years, folks, I learned it right there uh, in Israel. Uh, uh, but everybody out there has an opportunity to really explore and uh, and see what it's all about. And if you're talking about fins and scales on fish, or if you're talking about uh, split hooves and chewing cud when it comes to animals, you'll see, actually see, what we're talking about right there in the museum. It's a very valuable lesson for people of all ages. Well, uh, Rabbi Slifkin, as you see, I'm very enthusiastic about your institution. <laughs> <That's> your... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, did, you, did you take home the jar of... Uh... How, how glad I am that you mentioned that. I am married to someone who could not agree that we should schlep home a jar of kosher locusts. And by the way, that's another one. It's not just fish you might be surprised are kosher, not just birds you might be surprised are kosher. There are locusts that are actually kosher. And you explain all of that there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one's a bit of a shocker for people, but it's there's different uh, practices about whether you can eat them today, but... Uh, Certainly people are surprised to see that explicitly in the Torah locusts are kosher. We do know which the kosher types are. You know, it's funny. There were two women on that tour. So my wonderful wife yeah. is, say, is saying to me, I don't think there's a need for us to take home the kosher locusts. And the other woman in the tour was saying, yeah, we get the kosher locusts on a regular basis, and they're really good and really cool. So, <laughs> so you have the whole gamut there, Rabbi Slifkin, right. <laughs> of people who have not yet decided to explore the kosher locusts and those that seem to be doing it on a regular basis. And uh, you've had well, – th- my, my wife is uh, my wife is locust intolerant. She's not so into them either. All right, there you go. I feel much better about this now. But you could tell us that that they do have some taste to them or not? Nah, not really. I mean, you know, a crunchy on the outside and a chewy center, but it uh, doesn't really have much taste. Do you know I love your honesty? Because even, even you're ready to say it's basically a shtick. Like, you know, like if, if you're cooking. No, it's a very healthy food. It's an extremely uh, healthy, nutritious food, and that's why... Um, you know, there's companies doing raising locusts for protein powder and so on. But uh, I wouldn't say it's a tastiest thing. But, you know, it depends how you prepare them. Dip them in chocolate and, uh, and they taste much better. Amazing. Well, then you do use, lose a little bit of the health benefit. <laughs> I'll tell you the things I learned by going to the Biblical Museum of Natural History. By the way, folks, a big shout out to our good friend Toby Finkelstein. That's right, from Avrami and Toby, because she arranged for us to have the uh, incredible time at the museum uh, last week. And those of you out there who want to have a similar experience, it's very simple. There's a book tickets tab when you go to biblicalnaturalhistory.org. Again, biblicalnaturalhistory.org. Go there, reserve your place, and uh, especially now, as I said, because so many people are planning family trips to Israel during yeshiva break, take advantage of the opportunity. Rabbi Dr. Natan Slifkin, anything else you'd like to add, sir? Uh, no, just we look very much forward to hosting our visitors, and uh, we're, we're confident that everyone who comes has an absolute whale of a time. Everybody, it's just a, it's, it's an experience that combines a tremendous amount of education with an enormous amount of fun. Whether they interact with a whale or not, they're going to have a whale of a time. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> thank you, Rabbi Slifkin. Always a pleasure. And thank, thank you again for your hospitality. <laughs>
Thank you so much, Malcolm. There he is, Rabbi Dr. Natan Slifkin, biblicalnaturalhistory.org. Spread the word. You probably have people in your life who are wondering what to do in January and February with the kids when they get to Israel. They're probably struggling right now with what to add to their itinerary. Lead them to the site, biblicalnaturalhistory.org. It's a couple of hours of just an exhilarating experience. Simple as that. More coming up. It's a Wednesday morning edition of JM in the AM.